Good morning, gentle listeners. I am excited for you to join me today, as I have the pleasure of sharing another engrossing story with you. Did you thoroughly enjoy John Gordine's story last week? What a masterclass in mid-plot twists and a thrilling, unexpected conclusion, don't you think? Today, I present you another deliciously addicting morsel of a story by budding Bay Area poet and short story writer Stephanie Licodini. When she is not traveling all over the world or working diligently on her writing, Stephanie lives in Half Moon Bay, California, where she likes to keep busy tending to her flourishing garden, taking care of her flowering plants, strawberries, and vegetable beds. She loves the ocean, trees, her son's five pet chickens, the robins and hummingbirds who frequent her garden oasis, and anything and everything that inspires her in her writing. Stephanie is currently working on her first book of poetry and short stories. Her story is the beginning of an end, the agonizing goodbye that comes at the end of a relationship that fell out of love as time and outside temptations wore down at it from all directions, both within the love affair itself and outside where siren calls could lure one or the other further outside the truth. Constant affection, advertising something seemingly new, sparkly, and more exciting. What exactly do we lose when we willingly carve out parts of our heart, preferring bits by bits at the altar of love, knowing that these fragments of ourselves are lost forever? Is each relationship merely a springboard? A test run for the ultimate real thing? Cynic or through and through romantic, I imagine we leave ourselves to think we can take every step towards something. And every step is in the right direction, towards something worthy. Will the next step in love, in life, be the right one? Will all the steps together ultimately be worth it? Listeners, I bring you Stephanie Licodini's 7016 15th Street, apartment 425, The Stairwell. Pulling her pink, stuffed, overweight carry-on bag through the long, carpeted hallway, Stacy felt like her heart was getting heavier with each step she hesitantly took. Deep in her broken heart, she wished Oren would realize breaking up was a mistake and stop as he's opening the stairwell door, turn around, and called out beloved to her in Tagalog, Mahal, run fast to her, look into her eyes and kiss her passionately. All would be forgiven without any words spoken and things would go back to the way they were. Ten feet to the elevator, Stacy turns around to see Oren rushing, almost dropping the personalized brown leather Toomey backpack she had bought him last year as a Valentine present. 
She saw him struggling with a backpack strap on one shoulder while texting someone with his left hand and pulling his silver carry-on bag with his right. Of course, he was on his phone already. Ma, Stacy uttered the first syllable of the name she lovingly called him, a name he also used to call her the first two years they were together. Hal. Stacy said the last syllable. Oren never looked back. She watched as he now pushed the stairwell door open with his right shoulder, holding the phone to one ear, apparently in conversation with someone. Hey, babe, I've been texting you. How come you're not responding? I'm leaving Lillehammer now. Sorry I'm running late. I had some business to take care of. Are you checked in at the Westin? Oren says this to the person on the other end of the line. It was the voice of another woman. By you what? Okay, okay, I get it. Oren responds to the demand of the woman on the other line. Oren hurriedly dragged his carry-on bag down the 20 steps of the metal staircase. On the 21st step, his left foot somehow trips over his right one, and he loses his balance, violently falling down 20 more metal steps. On the small platform between the flight of stairs, he hits his head hard on a sharp edge of a rusty metal box protruding through the wall, breaking his right ankle in the process. Blood gushed through his right temple. Shockingly, his phone was still intact and in his hand. Hello? Hello, Oren. Did you get the list of what I want you to buy for me before you head on to the hotel? You had better get those right. Hurry up, the woman on the phone said. My head is bleeding I'm I I fell stop it just get up and get my stuff I'm waiting for you I I Orton couldn't finish the words as he dropped his phone He loses consciousness, possibly from the internal bleeding, swelling of his brain. For a few seconds, Oren regains consciousness. The first thought coming to his increasingly foggy mind was Stacy. She had always been the nurturer who treated him gently, even when he was sick with just a cold, a toothache, or a tummy ache. As this was occurring, Stacy was about to enter the elevator when she began to feel shivering down her spine. Her heart rate sped up. The sensation 
as if it was falling to her stomach. Without hesitation, she leaves her carry-on bag by the elevator door and runs toward Orin's direction. Opening the stairwell door, she looks down. She is surprised to see it so dark. Construction materials everywhere. She inhales a strong smell of fresh paint, fumes making her dizzy. This gives her pause, but she goes in anyway. Mahal? She calls out to him. No response. Something in her gut tells her to go down the stairs. It's that same intuition in times of trouble that Orin had always dismissed throughout the relationship, causing her to feel like she was crazy, making her doubt her thoughts. It is then that Stacy walks down rapidly, carefully holding on to the railway to support her weak right knee. Two flights down, the handle of Orin's carry-on is visible before she sees Orin laying there, blood pooling around his head. Frantic, she rushes to him and holds his head gently on her lap. Oh my God, Mahal, stay still. I'm calling for help. Without hesitation, Stacy takes off her blouse, rolls it, and uses it to put pressure on Orin's head. Orin tries to open his mouth as if he were about to say something. Yes, Mahal. Please hang in there. Stacy calls 911. Orin, you better respond. Hello. It's the voice on the phone again. Stacy wonders whose voice she hears, but continues to call 911, using her right hand while her left one puts pressure on his head. She looks at Orin, worry clouding her eyes. Orin's light brown face with thick, rosy lips turns pale. He looks really bad. Using whatever energy he has left in his hand, Orin points to his backpack and lifts his left hand reaching out to Stacy's face. Stacy takes his hand, holding it tightly. For the next 10 minutes, Orin rises and falls in and out of consciousness. It is on the 11th minute when Orin begins struggling as he takes each breath. Mahal. Oren utters that name he hasn't called Stacy in years. I'm so sorry. This he says with much difficulty. Tears roll down Stacy's eyes as she gently touches Oren's bloody face, her hand now red with his blood as well. She then lays his head closer to her bosom, tenderly stroking his left cheek. I forgive you. Please be okay. Please. Oren slowly opens his eyes to look at Stacy's face one last time before he takes his final breath. <sighs> 
I love you. Stacy whispers as she softly closes his eyes, touching his long, thick, curly eyelashes that she liked to play with during their fun moments. It made her smile for a second. She knew he was gone. Miss, please move. Let me help him. A fireman is heard saying. Stacy looks up helpless and sees a tall man in a bulky yellow suit, helmet and thick boots hovering over her. She wouldn't let go of Oren, but the man gently moves her arms off of him to take him away from her. Stacy, fighting hard to control her sobbing, lets the man in yellow take charge. She sits there, staring at nothing, shaking. There was so much commotion in the stairwell, but Stacy does not move, still in shock from what had transpired. She looks over her shoulder to find that all that's left of Oren is the leather backpack soaked in his blood. Stacy begins to shiver as a strong breeze spreads from her face to her spine. She is alone in that dark stairwell. Once more, she feels this man in yellow hovering over her. Stacy feels the weight of a thick, warm jacket on her shoulders. The man was the very first one to respond to her 911 call. He kneels down in front of her and goes through the motions of buttoning his thick fireman jacket, effectively covering Stacy's semi-naked upper body. Her blouse, soaked in Oren's blood, still lay on the floor next to his backpack. My name is Michael. Michael Howard. I'm from Fire Station 18 down the street. You are Stacy, right? I heard your call through my radio as I was driving back to the station. I hope you're warm now. I'm so sorry about your boyfriend. He says this in a very calm voice. Tears rolling down Stacy's cheeks, she nods her head, looking straight up at the fireman. He stares back at her with his deep blue eyes. He was, um, Stacy utters, too emotionally exhausted to speak. Michael Howard reaches out to her and wipes her tears away, rubs the back of his jacket that's covering Stacy's body, as if it would make her warmer for her. I'll stay right here with you until you say you're ready to go down. I won't leave you. For the month of July, I wanted to bring you imaginative storytelling from interesting, emerging voices in poetry and fiction. This story is the third in a summer series. If you haven't yet, please check out last week's short story by John Gordine, Love at First Sight. If you enjoyed the story by Stephanie, 
please show your support for this new poet by checking out her profile on Instagram at stefanina1226, S-T-E-P-A-N-I-N-A-1226. You can also follow me on Instagram at fin underscore bell, P-H-Y-N-N-E underscore B-E-L-L-E to read bits of my poetry, receive inspiration and writing encouragement, and of course to connect. Isn't discovering new artists such a lovely thing? Thank you, dear listeners, for your continued support.